about this podcast. Your hosts, Ed Hammond and Diego Kaminker, talk with global leaders in healthcare informatics about the evolution, current status, and future of healthcare interoperability in their regions and worldwide. This podcast is sponsored by EMEA IASI and HL7 International and is produced by HL7 Argentina. Ed and Diego select five questions for their guests and then let them answer freely. The questions are randomly chosen live from a longer list, so they'll be surprised and their guests will be surprised too. About our sponsors. About the Academy. The International Academy of Health Sciences Informatics was established in 2017 under the auspices of EMEA, the International Medical Informatics Association. It promotes the dissemination of informatics-based knowledge and best practices, fosters new ideas, and encourages worldwide collaboration and sharing of expertise and resources. About HL7 International. Founded in 1987, Health Level 7 International is a not-for-profit, anti-accredited, standards-developing organization. HL7 is supported by more than 1,600 members from over 50 countries, including 500-plus corporate members. About HL7 Argentina. HL7 Argentina was founded in 1999, making it one of the oldest HL7 affiliates. HL7 Argentina created the HL7 Fire Fundamentals course, which has educated about 7,000 students in HL7 standards worldwide since 2008. A little about your hosts. Diego Kaminker has defined, implemented, and maintained hundreds of healthcare interoperability projects using the major HL7 standards. He's an Academy Fellow and is currently an Affiliate Director on the HL7 International Board. Ed Hammond is Chair Emeritus and Founder of HL7 International, Chair of the Standards Panel of EMEA IASI, and Creator of the original HL7 Messaging Standard. For more details, be sure to check out the podcast notes. Welcome, uh, Ed, again to our uh, new podcast episode. Uh, we have the proud to have Bill here with us. Uh, Bill Hirsch is a professor and chair of the Department of Medical Informatics and Clinical Epidemiology in the School of Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Dr. Hesh has had a distinguished academic career with many accomplishments in research and education. He's currently president of the International Academy of Health Science Informatics, our president. Uh, Dr. Hesh is a prolific teacher in biomedical and health informatics and a passionate advocate for data standards and interoperability in the field, which is our field. So, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for being our guest today and thank you, Ed, yeah, welcome, for being Bill. here. Great to see you, Ed. And so, let's begin with our questions. We, uh, This question we do to every every ask with to every uh, our our uh, every guest. So my first question is: How did you become involved in healthcare interoperability standards, on, and what was your drive? Certainly, always been interested in interested in the informatics field and our ability to leverage data and information to improve um, individual health, patient care research and all other things and um, certainly as electronic health records proliferated in the U.S. uh, a little over a decade ago um, we saw the potential 
for that data to be leveraged to improve health and healthcare. But we also saw some of the shortcomings of systems not being able to talk to each other. And so it was clear that data standards um, were an omission in the big push uh, to adopt electronic health records in the U.S. Um, as you mentioned a moment ago, I, I do research that involves using data. Um, clearly, if we want to develop um, good algorithms to act on the data and learn from them, we need standardized data. Um, I also, as you mentioned, do a lot of teaching and I try to impart to all who are learning informatics that data standards are a real core uh, part of what we do in informatics if we want to leverage data for things like clinical decision support, quality measurement, public health research, and, and all other things. So it's... I, I have two, two related yeah. questions into, into this. One is uh, how much is uh, taught When, when you have a, a specialist in, in your career in the Department of Medical Informatics, you think uh, uh, standards are, are covered, standards for interoperability are covered, or they are not covered enough? Uh, any, any thoughts about that? Sure. Um, I think that most um, um, high-quality informatics educational programs are incorporating information about standards, Um, to what extent and so forth, it may vary. But I, I think everyone who's learning informatics really under, needs to understand how critical. I, I also think that um, those outside of informatics, clinicians, other health professionals and so forth, need to know about the importance of standards, even if they don't need to know all the last details about fire or snowmet or whatever. So, yeah, something that we always, always discuss with Ed is the the need for them to be at least good buyers and know what, they, what is possible and what they can ask for while they, they have not to, the, the, the obligation to, to implement at least knowing what is possible and ask for that. Ed, you wanted to, yeah, to was, ask something? It's along the same lines, Bill, because, because one of the things that, that, uh, that Diego and I have been talking about is I keep pushing Diego further and further out on his spiral as to what how people pay attention. I don't think the clinical community needs to understand the technical details of a standard, but they certainly need to understand the capability of standards, and they need to start thinking about how to use standards because the people that are making the standards, in my opinion, really don't know what the potential use is, what impact they can have on the clinical setting. And, and it gets, goes back to your comments about teaching as well because You know, how much do we teach them? Uh, clearly, we don't want to get them to be bogged down in the technicality of, of, of how fire works and all of that. But they certainly need to appreciate a new tool is there that it's available. So how do you build that? I mean, I've always felt that AMIA has ignored standards more than they should. We'd be further along if it paid attention. And, and part of that is the teaching part of that. So how do, what's your comment about that? Um, yeah, I, well, you know, with, with clinicians, you know, people who don't work in informatics, uh, I think, you know, we, we ask a lot of them. I mean, and they're certainly getting bogged down by electronic health records, certainly in the U.S., we know that. Um, and so we need to demonstrate the value. Why is it important for them um, to maybe put in a little effort, if necessary, to, to use standards or, or to just to make sure that the systems that they have can um, 
use the standards that we want so we can do better things for them, better clinical decision support, quality measurement. Um, so we have to convince them of that. And, and of course, we, as you mentioned, you know, we need to convince the rest of our informatics colleagues. I, I think the world has mostly come around to it, but there were probably missed opportunities in the earlier days. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of questions, so we are randomly selecting some of them. I, don't, I have a Wheel of Fortune here. I will try to make it go. Okay, I think it's number four. Question four. It's two questions. I, I will ask you the, the first part, and then when you are done, I will complete with other thoughts. Which is your vision for healthcare interoperability in your hospital group, country, region, or even globally? What is your aim? What do you think it's needed or, or your, your vision, maybe uh, short-term and, and long-term? Sure. Well, my vision is that we can hopefully take the data that we have and do various things with it. We're seeing an explosion of um, accomplishments in Um, some new areas. I, I already mentioned things like clinical decision support and quality, but also things like machine learning, the resurgence of artificial intelligence. Um, we're doing great things, but most of those accomplishments are at single institutions and they don't necessarily, necessarily translate to others. So, and, and it will take more than standardized data to get to that, but standardized data is an essential element. So we develop machine learning algorithms that we want to roll out to help deliver care, to help patients make better decisions. Um, we need a vision for more standardized data. Um, and then impart that vision so people will come along with us when we tell them that this is how we need to approach implementing systems. So, Bill, if I could just have ask you, said, you, have you about, about one quick yeah, question. Would you define standardized data just so we all know what you're talking about? Are you saying that everybody uses exactly the same data elements? Is that what you mean? Tell me what you mean by that. Sure. Um, You know, I think it's probably a continuum. Um, we can't probably standardize every last detail, but certainly the, the broader things, you know, the elements of the electronic health record, the elements of the kind of data we want to collect on patients, diagnoses, treatments, um, testing, and so forth. Um, the more we can standardize that, the better. Um, You know, so using standardized terminologies for, for diseases, for test names, things like that, all, all the ones that are emerging that we um, know so well. Um, but it, we may never get to the point, you know, I think another challenge we face um, is that uh, clinicians, when they do their documentation, want to read and write the story of the patient as a narrative. And that is sometimes at odds with the more structured data we hope to make use of for the kinds of things I've talked about, clinical decision support, quality research, et cetera. So how do we achieve a balance um, that allows the clinicians to still read and write the story about the patient and then enable us to extract the standardized data out so we can apply it in various algorithms and so forth? And the follow-up is, uh, I have two follow-ups. Uh, have you sensed uh, from when you begin, began your, your journey to right now if there was a, 
advanced in, in actual interoperability in the sense that you are uh, talking about the, 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 the physician can read what the previous uh, practitioner uh, thought about the patient or, 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 or wrote about the patient. It doesn't matter where was this uh, care given, uh, there is a continuum of, of, of care. And do you think that we, we achieved that at least? I, I'm not talking about the clinical research or clinical decision support, at least continuity of care. Sure. Um, I think we're getting there. Um, you know, in, in the U.S. now, we, we have a pretty solid, you know, penetration of EHR adoption. Um, and um, there are standards to facilitate that sort of continuity of, of information. Um, we don't always do it. Um, the, so, and many of the problems are non-technical. I, I think the new um, TEFCA um, uh, uh program will will help uh, set um, legal and business standards that will enable the data to move so that when it is standardized to the extent that we think is optimal, it will be able to to move from, uh, you know, basically to follow the patient where they go. And so that that's what we should aim for. We're, we're not quite there yet. Any thoughts, Ed? Well, uh, the uh, this whole concept of standardization of the data, I think, is 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 very timely, and and activities are beginning to be that way. Uh, if you have any thoughts about uh, who whose responsibility, who's the keeper of that of of, of that data? Is it is it, is this something that uh, informatics organizations have the responsibility? I mean, somebody's got to maintain the data set and keep it up to date, and all those sorts of things. You got any thoughts about how we would manage to go about that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I can get, you know over the years through my teaching, I have learned things that will really get um, discussion going among those who are learning. And you know, so one of the issue is who does actually own the data? I mean, I think we all probably agree ultimately the patient owns the data, but you know, who's responsible for it for for keeping it secure, for keeping it up to date? And I think that falls across the healthcare organizations. So the healthcare provider organizations, the hospitals, clinics um, need to do their part um, to make sure that the data is entered in, in as high quality fashion as possible. Um, the IT people need to keep it secure, um, to be able to transfer it securely across networks and so forth. I, I think there's a responsibility for the vendors. Um, they need, there needs to be some amount of regulation of the vendors so that they do the right things um, in terms of um, securing and, and maintaining high quality data. So I, I think it's a, a responsibility really across the system. You know, we don't want to overburden, especially frontline clinicians, um, but um, the whole system, the whole healthcare system, it, it needs to be part and parcel of, of what we do is ma maintaining that large data set, securing it and using it for uh, proper purposes. Okay, let's get to our next question. Uh, let's see what the Wheel of Fortune tell us. Someday, Bill, we have to go go watch his magic uh, yeah. merry-go-round and see it working. It's a, a, big, a, big, a big merry-go-round. Yeah. Uh, it, well, it's hopefully I'll get back to Argentina someday. <laughs> and you will see that, yeah. Uh, any specific thoughts about the relationship between uh, healthcare 
interoperability standards and research. Uh, which are the gaps and how can we move forward? Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and I've written some about this. I wrote a paper with a bunch of, uh, um, I think it was mostly U.S. informatics colleagues. Actually, it's almost 10 years ago now. Um, as, as people were saying that, that um, electronic health records were just going to magically open the spigot of knowledge, um, uh, you know, clearly um, uh, electronic health record data is incomplete. It's sometimes incorrect. Um, and so if we're going to do research with the data, and I think there's a lot of opportunities to do so in, in ways that complement the conventional randomized control trials and things like that. I don't think those are going to become obsolete just because we have a ton of data. Um, but we, we need to, to find ways to make sure that we use the data appropriately, that we carry out observational studies, you know, effort, international efforts like Odyssey, I think, are leading the way in that regard. Um, and so the two can hopefully uh, balance each other. But I, I think there's a lot of opportunity um, as long as we're aware of the caveats um, with uh, using um, uh, patient data for research, especially from the electronic health record. So, Bill, if if if, if you're if you're doing research, and and part of your data is the data that's that's part of patient care data, and part of it may be a little extra things too. Uh, are you going to have two separate buckets you're going to put that in, or are you going to move uh, that data into the EHR? I mean, the mechanism for collection tends to be more driven by that. So, so, so how do you, you – we talk about blending uh, yeah. these things together, and, and more than just observational. I mean, it's real peer research. How do you view what the future holds for um, research uh, coupled with uh, patient care? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, on the one hand, there could, you know, there could be federation of data so that when it's used, um, systems know how to go across. I think in a probably in a more practical sense, it'd be actually the opposite of what you just said. I think, um, you know, pulling data out of the EHR um, and putting it into, you know, most U.S. research institutions, especially those funded by the CTSA program, have research data warehouses. Um, and oftentimes, you know, for example, the data, you know, like in Epic or, or the VA system might be in, um, you know, hierarchical database format, which is great for transactions and less so for query and analysis. So transforming it um, and then combining it with other data that we might collect in research studies or da data that patients provide, you, you probably don't want to stuff all of that data in the electronic health record because then you also start to run into issues of, well, if it's in the electronic health record, should the healthcare provider organization be responsible for it? Um, you know, I, I think a primary care physician who follows someone, you know, with high blood pressure should be monitoring that. But, you know, to inundate them with, with tons of raw data, I think there's probably better approaches to do that. So I, I think ultimately the data should probably be in some, some form of um, database that is amenable to um, linking and doing research with. Any other thoughts, Ed, or, or well, I, I, that, Keep going. I think that's... I, 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 there is one thing I want to go back to, if I might, uh, Diego. And Whatever you want. This, this, is your, this is yours, too. Sure. No, go ahead, Ed. <laughs> I, 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 you know, the, I always talk about the world being round. And Bill, you like to travel as much as I like to travel. 
and, and and we didn't really talk about you. You referred to the U.S. in much of your remarks so far, but I'm going to push you out the door now. And 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 globally, what what should be be working with? What 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 direction should be moving, particularly in terms of the data that we're collecting between the exchange of data between uh, the mobility of people and everything else? What's your perspective on standardization, and particularly standardization of, of the data elements that we're collecting uh, in the international, the global community? Sure. Well, you know, I probably have less experience on the ground in um, international settings, um, probably <laughs> more experience in, in um, uh, interacting with my wonderful informatics colleagues all over the world. But, you know, um, I, I think that... Um, you know, the the world, um, and this seems to be happening, you know, including like through fire, um, you know, needs to uh, come together um, to see if there's areas that we can agree upon, you know, on standards that will enable us to start making things like cross-country comparisons when we're doing research or, or measuring other um, aspects of healthcare. Um, you know, di- different countries speak different languages. They they may talk about things differently in medicine. Although you know, I think that medicine is medicine, and there there are a lot of similarities around the world. So you know, we should hopefully have um, uh, adopt standards that are global uh, when we can. Although we may recognize that there might be times when that um, might not be feasible. Um, those of us who have the opportunity to be more in the forefront to take the leadership roles um, should hopefully um, set set the example um, for other countries to adopt. Um, you know, just just like um, you know, other countries all around the world now are adopting cell phones. You know, that started in more advanced countries, but now, of course, they're everywhere. Um, you know, maybe a similar sort of thing can happen with uh, healthcare data standards as um, less advanced countries develop th- their own electronic health record systems of helping them uh, make sure that they adhere to those standards. Yes, in fact, it's both at the same time. P- uh, the poorest countries are using a lot of their phones to record healthcare information. Right, and they because skip- that's the only thing they have. <laughs> yeah, well, and yeah, so, and a lot of um, less developed countries, you know, skipped the whole landline thing and have gone straight to uh, cell phones. And so, you know, maybe we can help mm-hmm. them skip some of the steps and the um, things we didn't do quite correctly to, to get to a better place. I have a, a follow up question on this. And in your experience, the if there's any burden burden to, to the uh caregivers uh, from research. So you need to add more data to what they have to enter. And this is a burden for them. Can you talk about this? Sure. No, I I think that's a real important point. Um, I don't think think we can expect caregivers to be our um, research data generators. I mean, it would be great (laughs) if, if the world were that way and they could and that the, the data that they produce in the care of people um, l- led to better research data, but th- they're so overburdened now with um, um, 
well, obviously, you know, with the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, overburden with electronic health records and things like that. Um, we, we need to make it as, as easy as possible for them. And then hopefully we can transform the data they collect, find other ways to collect data. Um, so we don't want to put the burden of um, collecting research data on frontline clinicians or patients. Thank you very much. So let's see the next question. We need some music with that. <laughs> it's question eight. Any specific thoughts about the relationship between uh, healthcare interoperability standards and big data? Uh, and I want you, I, I don't know if you are aware of, of, fire, of bulk fire. Uh, and if you are uh, acquainted to bulk fire, if you have some experience, I want to know your experience. Also. Sure. Um, I, I, I actually I remember when bulk fire was introduced at the HIMSS meeting, and I, I thought it was an important advance. Um, I don't have much um, direct experience with it. Um, I think, I, I, you know, b big data is just really data that has scaled up. Um, I don't think big data is any different from small data that emanates from single patients, single healthcare system. It all just kind of scales up. It's all healthcare data. Healthcare data is big data because it meets the criteria from NIST and others about being um, volume, uh, velocity, variety, and all the different other Vs that they use. And so, you know, I, I think it becomes even more important as the data gets larger and more heterogeneous and more complex that it also maintain this uh, standardized form so we can, again, do the kinds of things we've already talked about, everything from clinical decision support, machine learning, public health, quality, research, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah, that please. Okay, uh, let's play with big data for a while because, uh, you know, they're, they're, first of all, Big data really needs to come from multiple places. I mean, I think COVID-19 is a perfect example of where one institution really doesn't have enough data about COVID to really understand the disease. And I think we still don't understand it. So it's, it, it seems to me that we're approaching a new world now, in the last five years at least, of where sharing of data is becoming uh, desirable. And now with COVID, I think it's becoming mandatory that we put these databases together. Uh, is there any thoughts from your perspective of, of the part of this area that you're interested in that has an impact on that? How do you put these together? What is it? What are the governance? What is this, the quality? All of those kind of issues. How about responding to to the value of trying to build big data from multiple sites? Sure. Um, you know, again, I, um, I appreciate that when the data gets larger. Um, the, it, it probably gets more complicated. It comes from more sources. But it's really just a scaling up of, of the same issues we face with individual data sets. Uh, you know, we, we, we need governance. So there are policies around how it can be used and how it should not be used, um, you know, not sold or, um, you know, otherwise, you know, exploited. Um, it needs to be kept secure. Um, And it needs to be linked across different sources. And it gets more complicated when it gets larger. Um, 
but you know, I, I think we know how to manage large amounts of data. Um, you know, we certainly have tech companies that that know how to do that. We need experts that can manage data on that large scale, um, but also who are cognizant of the the micro aspects of the data as well. You know, adhering to the standards. Um, what you know, whether it's format, terminology, etc. So, so you know, I think I think big data is more challenging, but but I also think it it just um, uh, magnifies the same issues that apply to smaller amounts of data. Maybe some people might disagree with me on that. No, the problem is that it's not only extraction; it's also cleansing. So once you have the data, uh, in our current status, it's not enough. So. You have the data, but that data could not enter any uh, data repository without being cleansed before. So that's a thing that it's not only a thing of, of healthcare interoperability standards, but healthcare data. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I certainly and, agree. And it's an structure. So let's go to our next question. Let's see what the... So it was long. That's uh, question 10. How can we relate uh, healthcare interpretive standards with day-to-day care providers? Do we need to, or you think it's just plumbing? They don't need to see that at all or not be aware. Tell us what you think. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we've touched on some of these issues. I think that um, we, we need to demonstrate to day-to-day care providers the, the added value um, for the data that they're collecting. So, um, you know, I think a, a lot of, certainly in the U.S., a lot of clinicians feel that the electronic health record is feeding the beast. They're just entering all this data, and especially like in academic <coughs> centers, like um, the ones that Ed and I work in, um, and may, maybe you, Diego, too. Um, you know, these are inquisitive um, clinicians, uh, physicians, a lot of them, and they might want to ask questions of their data, but we don't really give them the opportunity to do it. We just ask them to keep putting in more data, and they sometimes get resentful of the administrators that basically want to use the data, again, certainly in the U.S., to make sure that the hospital gets paid, which, of course, it needs to get paid. Um, But um, so I I think we need to demonstrate value. And I I mean, I think this is actually really a fundamental principle of informatics. We need to demonstrate the value of these computing and information systems that we're asking people to use because we think, we we know they can improve health and healthcare, but we need to convince clinicians of that, especially because they're spending a lot of time um, using them. So there's that issue. I, I think we need to balance you know, we've also talked a little bit about this structured and unstructured data. Um, we, we know that clinicians really want to read the story, write the story about the patient, yet us informaticians want structured data to put into our algorithms. And how, how do we balance that? How do we leverage, how do we turn that unstructured data into more structured data? It gets also back to the cleaning um, that you mentioned. So, um and, and, and then also we need to educate the day-to-day providers of, of the, the value of, of what we're doing. Uh, they're critically important. They, they, if, if we don't, um, if we overburden them with 
data collection, electronic health records that they already have become resentful. And we, we need to find ways to make systems better for them and enable them to get the value and then also us to demonstrate the value. So, Bill, I'm glad you came back to, to this problem of uh, physician notes versus structured data. Uh, because um, it, 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 can it be, does it have to be one or the other? Can they not be really merged? And, and you know, we're finding structured data. And the clinicians are telling me if, if I've got a new structured data and that's all they've got, it really doesn't tell me what I want to know about the patient. Um, and at the same time, we say structured uh, physician notes, uh, we don't know how to get the stuff out of structure, out of, out of physician notes to do our, our analytics. Uh, but it seems to me that, that, that that's a problem that we've got to think about a lot more and, and, and really try to address that. Do you think that that's something that we're going to make some progress of trying to merge those together? Uh, I mean, if you talk about artificial intelligence now and the, the ability of really pulling some concepts out of notes, uh, is that a way of really getting the data we need? Would you comment on this approach? Sure, sure. You know, I my, my research, I, I don't consider myself to be a hardcore natural language processing person, but, you know, I work with a lot of people who are. And certainly we've made advances, although we haven't gotten to the point where um, an NLP algorithm can just take a note and it, it can identify all the concepts and then the synonyms and, and all that. We've, we've gotten really good at that, but getting into the real underlying meaning, all the relationships and so forth. If we got to that point, we might then be able to take the um, unstructured data, that textual data, and turn it into a more structured format. And, I, you know, I, I think we see this starting to happen a little bit commercially with um, uh, companies like Nuance um, and others that are um, uh, developing and deploying these systems that, that actually... Um, um, this is another thing I think is important. It gets back to the clinician of getting the keyboard out of the exam room. You know, people say we should get the computer out of the exam room. I don't think anyone really agrees with that, but we should get the keyboard out of the exam room. And so, you know, uh, some of these companies uh, and researchers are now developing systems that take, you know, basically take the dialogue between the patient and the clinician and turn it into a note. And then, you know, hopefully taking it to the next step of, of pro providing structure on top of that. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's potentially feasible. All the breakthroughs now around um, deep learning systems, um, interpreting language and so forth. I think we're getting there. Um, we're, we're not there today, but, you know, that I think that's a, a major direction for the field, you, you know, again, of of a computer, you know, just like our smart speakers listen to our request to, you know, what's the weather, turn on the music. Um, we hopefully will have these um, smart um, devices that process the dialogue between the patient and clinician and capture some of that. So it, it saves the clinician time on keyboarding and can hopefully use some of the NLP advances to, to structure the data better. Yeah, what worries me about this, and, and maybe found old, is the nuances of language. So when, when you say, I'm pretty sure this patient doesn't have this, and the artificial intelligence doesn't understand that you are negating or, or creating some kind of uh, uh, specific uh, gradient of disease or that 
the, the the AI would not. I think it's getting better at that, and and I don't know if you have seen some research about these specific problems in in understanding what how we talk and how we write. Yeah, you no, know, I completely agree with you. Um, um, there's a lot of nuance in language um, that um, oftentimes you can't, you know, just simply structure. Um, you know, and, and maybe the systems will be smart enough to recognize that, you know, I'm reading a sentence about this patient that is, you know, I don't fully, you know, interpret and there's probably something more here. Um, but, but you know, knowing things like the patient's having chest pain, you know, it, 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 it gets worse when they walk. It gets better when they pop a nitroglycerin under their tongue. Um, you know, the, those sorts of things are, are, you know, pretty standardized. But, you know, some of the um, other you know, nuances might be more difficult and, and hopefully the system would recognize that or, or that there may be a human in the loop. I, um, our uh, U.S. colleague Tom Payne had a project where he would actually um, state things in front of the patient um, actually into his phone and, and, then, um, and, and then actually NLP would be applied to it. So by the time he got to writing his note, a lot of those snippets of text had already been processed into uh, medical terms. So, you know, I, I think there's opportunities like that. Um, there, there probably, at least for the foreseeable future, needs, needs to be a human in the loop. We're not going to have any kind of automated interpretation of, uh, you know, the, the system completely um, generating the final note that, um, that comes out of their, the processing of the conversation with the patient. Okay, um, th this last question is for, for all of our guests. Um, and the, the question is, how did the COVID uh, pandemic change your view about uh, healthcare interoperability standards? And um, I hope I will rephrase this. What do you think we need to do for the next pandemic? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, it, certainly we learned in the US and probably most other countries that our data systems were not quite prepared for the pandemic. It, um, it you know, it, it's really helpful to have up-to-date information. I'm, I'm following it right now. And, and there's a, a number of statistics I, I keep bookmarked on my web browser, uh, mostly things like the local hospitalization rate here, which fortunately, even though we're, you know, getting rid of masks and all the other public health measures, um, you know, and uh, we have some of these new variants um, you know, fortunately, so far, the hospitalization rate has stayed stable. And I, I think that's a good indicator. So, you know, I think, you know, COVID is very data intensive. It's, you know, and we need to know a lot more, um, and especially about trends and so forth. Um, and when new variants emerge, uh, what the proportion of people who are vaccinated are is, th things like that. So, uh, you know, I think we need to be prepared for future pandemics, actually, not not only including future COVID pandemics, I I don't think we have seen the last of it, um, despite the way that some people are acting in the U.S. And so we we need to be prepared. And and when the cases start to tick up, um, when especially when the serious cases, so hospitalization, mortality, things like that, starts to tick up, we need to act on it. And and then we need to be able to look into the data and see, you know, what what is the cause? I mean, we learned early on with with COVID that um, older people like us, um, you know, people with uh, uh, concurrent 
medical conditions, um, you know, other factors were quickly learned. Um, and um, we, for the next pandemic, hopefully we'll have a good data set so that we can start to look at those things immediately. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't have any more questions. Ed, you want to add something? Yeah, let me just ask you a couple of things because, because a lot has happened as a result of COVID. And, and, and have you got any thoughts about, I mean, one of the things that we haven't even mentioned when we're talking about big data is new kinds of data. We've got now, we've got all of a sudden genomic information. We've got social determinants of health. Um, and, there, and there's a lot of data that's not patient-specific. It's just knowing something about the environment that you're in, what's the industry that's there, global uh, you know, climate management all of those sorts of things are coming into play. Do you see informatics really start understanding what non-patient-specific kind of data needs to be brought into the system? How do we bring it in? How do we introduce it to the clinicians? What is what is the future hold with this broadening um, scope of data that's important for the health of individuals? Sure. I, you know, I, I probably as informaticians, you know, we may not be the subject matter matter experts on every last aspect of new data sources but but we need to work with those who are um, because our our role is probably going to be managing the clinical and public health aspects of this data so we we need to when those kinds of data sources become available um, you know things like monitoring heart rate on a smartwatch or um, wastewater. You know is is now a, a big um, uh, uh, thing that's monitored around the U.S. Looking for emergence of of COVID. So we we need to be able to integrate all those data sources and and then also work with the usability experts to create dashboards or other overviews so they can see what's happening and be able to act on a real time and then be able to you know quickly do analyses when when we find something of interest and oh we need to we need to drill further into that uh data so we we, we need an awareness about what data is out there what what's being collected how it can help us and and, and the limitations of that data so one 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 last question uh, if i might diego is is um what I'm trying to, and I may not have trouble, may have trouble asking this question, but I'm interested in, in how we get a better relationship between standards development organization like EMEA and HL7 and, and the community that ultimately use those, those products. Uh, you know, most people pay no attention, and yet it's, 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 it's something that needs to get closer and closer, particularly with all these new things that we're talking about. Have you got any ideas of, of how that, how that socialization of the people that create standards and the people that use standards, how does that socialization come about? Any ideas of, I mean, I don't know how much you teach in your, in your courses about uh, standards developing organizations and their product and, and so forth, but what are some of your thoughts about how we get to be uh, more, more socially acquainted with each other? Yeah, um, you know, I think there needs to be um, good communication. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, scientific and scientific-like meetings are important, uh, you know, to, to, you know, have those discussions. Um, 
uh, you know, everyone, you know, we've already talked about this, you know, d- different people in the healthcare system and, you know, healthcare, public health patients, all the whole system need, need to understand why, um, uh, data is important, you know, and we, we need to talk to each other. We, we need to understand the language a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the funny comments I get from, um, uh, it probably happens more with nurses than physicians. You know, nurses often get talked down to by tech people, um, and they feel liberated when they learn some informatics and can actually answer back and um, uh, so forth. So, you know, I, I think that people, you know, it's like any human endeavor, people need to be respectful and, um, you know, understand what everyone can contribute um, so that we can, you know, and probably ultimately, what, what are the goals of what we're trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve, certainly for those of us who work in the informatics world, you know, work in a world where health can be, health and healthcare can be improved uh, by the use of computing and, and data systems and, and aiming for that goal and then maybe working backwards from there. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, I, I have a last request. Sure. Can you give uh, my, my regards to your dog? I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thank you. The, um, one of the amazing things about the pandemic, I mean, one of the great things about the pandemic has been keeping up with friends and colleagues over social media. So uh, the whole world <laughs> knows about my dog, or at least people who are friends on Facebook and so forth. Um, and, and it's nice we've been able to share that since we haven't been able to get together in person. I, I hope that will change um, in the near future. I think so, and I hope so. So thank you very much, uh, Ed. And let's see you together again soon. And Bill, it was a pleasure to have you with us. And Yeah, maybe I can just touch. add one last thing myself. These podcasts have been Whatever great. you want. For, for um, your contributions to the Academy, the International Academy of Health Sciences Informatics. And um, I think this is important for us um, to share, th- those of us who are experts, senior leaders in the field, to share our expertise and perspectives uh, with the rest of the world. And I think the, these podcasts have been a, an excellent way to do that. Thank you, Bill. It's a lot of fun to thank get to talk much. to our colleagues. So thank you very much. Thank you, guys. See you next time. Bye.